Good morning. All right. I got to say, I think first service might be braver than second service when it comes to those icy roads. I don't know. <laughs> I, I notice our, our Anza folks uh, probably with us online. So hello, Jose and Tim and Heather and whoever else is in Anza or couldn't make it here. Oh, man, uh, did you, that last song, didn't you just want to just keep singing that? Like, I get that, that imagery of, like, Revelation or, like, an Isaiah 6 of the angels calling back and forth out to, to each other, this call and response kind of worship, and it's just, like, it makes me just want to be there, you know, and uh, just, just incredible, and I love that line, every nation and tribe, or every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, um, just as that reminder, like uh, Kevin was saying, that that we're we are worshiping not just here at IBC, but we are worshiping in community with all the true believers around the world. And there are so many around the world, even right now, that are suffering. Um, and we think particularly of those in the Ukraine, and uh, how many of our brothers and sisters are. Um, worshiping today in bomb shelters or in churches with no electricity and and all of that and um, and we are in prayer and we are worshiping with them and so it just it's just such a powerful beautiful picture to me um, so uh, yeah let's just keep that in mind we are worshiping in unity with all of God's people uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 4 Luke chapter 4, as we begin. And, you know, we even have in our own church, uh, we, we have people that are touched uh, with um, that whole situation. And I know there are a number of organizations. The, one that I, the ones that I'm personally connected with are Far Reaching Ministries and Mercy Projects. Those are two ministries that uh, um, I have uh, personal connections to. Of course, you met Edward Amaya from Far Reaching Ministries a few weeks ago. Uh, so certainly um, they are people that you um, would reach out for help. And then also, um, if you want to help with some gift cards or cash for people in our own community uh, who can use it um, that, uh, that have been touched by that, um, please uh, see Connie. Um, and I won't go into any more deal, detail on that uh, at this point, um, but... Uh, yeah, we, we have an, a, a beautiful opportunity to help. So by all means, call Connie tomorrow morning, or Tuesday morning. She's not here tomorrow. Um, and uh, certainly we, um, we are honored to have those in our own community who, um, who've been touched by that. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Starting in verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appointed to him on her behalf, or they appealed to him, rather, on her behalf. I read that wrong. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them and demons also came out of many crying you are the son of god 
But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Luke uh, 42, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And as preaching, he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Our merciful God, um, we certainly, we, this is your morning. We surrender our wants for it to you. Again, we want to lift up all of those in Ukraine and around the world who are suffering, those who are in our midst who have suffered through so much um, as we worship alongside of them. We pray that you would be present with them. Um, God, that they would know your love and they would know your peace in the midst of the chaos around them. Uh, God, give us, we thank you for the richness you've given us. Give us the wisdom to uh, give of that richness to help those that have those needs. We give ourselves over to you, Father, to be challenged and stretched by your holy word. Grant to us understanding by the grace that is in our Lord Jesus. Forgive us of our sins that we might hear you. Speak to us clearly as we open the word you have given. Lord, we pray that you would speak clearly to us this morning. Teach us to be fully surrendered to your great authority. Teach us to live in submission and humility, looking to you, our mighty, sovereign God. Help us to understand what you will reveal to us this morning through your word. God, we invite your Holy Spirit to inhabit this place and our hearts as we worship you by reading and studying from your servant, Luke. And so with that, we give this time over to you and to your word. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Okay, I'm going to ask the second service. I, was, I, I batted a zero. Does anyone watch The Office? Anybody here watch The Office? Good, we have a few. All right. There were zero the first service. It's this show where uh, Steve Carell plays like this incompetent branch manager whose branch somehow like regularly outperforms the other branches of this paper company. Uh, and it's, it's actually the American version or spinoff of a British show that has the same name. And season, season six, David Wallace, who's the CEO, decides to promote this normally even-tempered yet lazy salesman who likes to play practical jokes. Uh, and his name is Jim, and he promotes him to co-manager. So now Michael, played by Steve Carell, ends, uh, deals with all the big-picture issues, and Jim, who's played by John Krasinski, deals with the day-to-day -day stuff. Now there's another character uh, in there who's an accountant, and they have these little sidebars where they talk, and... And this character, he says, look, it doesn't take a genius to know that every organization thrives when it has two leaders. Go ahead. Name a country that doesn't have two presidents, a boat that sets sail without two captains. Where would Catholicism be without the popes? Now, which is really funny because we know, it's hap know that's happened before. Um, in fact, in our, in our church history life group, we actually talk about that. It's a time period 
uh, in where there were actually two popes. You had one in France and one in Rome. And while they were busy excommunicating each other, a bunch of bishops get together, depose of those two popes, and install a third pope. And so now you have three popes, all claiming that the other two are illegitimate. The Roman Catholic Church, of course, at that point, loses a tremendous amount of respect from the people. Uh, they lost uh, much of their overarching political influence that they had really taken for granted for hundreds of years to that point. And eventually, this leads to schism, which they tried to squash, but ultimately Martin Luther comes around, and thus the Protestant Reformation. Uh, so they actually did have two popes, and actually three at one time. And actually today, there are actually two. Heather, you are here. Wow. I just noticed you made it up. Okay. I didn't know if she would. Okay. Um, yeah, let's hear it. She made it up from, uh, from uh, Anza. All right. Um, but uh, I just look over there, and there she is. Um, so, um, so, yeah, so we actually, there's actually two living popes today. One of them resigned, but they still, they, he still kind of takes on the role of Pope Emeritus or something. And they, people take sides, right? But, um, but anyhow, in this, um, in the office there, it's played out, uh, the, this part plays out as this guy named Dwight. And he's played by Rain Wilson, who is kind of the socially awkward guy that uh, tries to kind of be the alpha male of the office, but he's, he's kind of a, he's kind of a suck up to Michael. He's constantly receiving at the receiving ends of, uh, of Jim's practical jokes, like putting his office supplies in jello or in the vending machine or whatever it might be. Uh, and, and in, in the, one of the scenes, Dwight comes into Jim's office needing a signature and Jim demands that he say, please. And he doesn't want to do that. So he just kind of stomps his foot, says idiot, and walks out. And in the next scene, he's in Michael's office wanting to lodge a complaint against Jim. To which Michael replies, that's not big picture. Um, and Dwight tries to argue his case saying it's a huge complaint about the tallest guy in the office. And Michael says, okay. And Dwight says, Jim won't sign my expense report. And Michael says, that's day to day. And so in the next scene, we see Jim taking Dwight's complaint about him very seriously, uh, while all obviously mocking him as well. Um, and, and what makes the episode so funny is this tension between this employee not wanting to submit to the authority of the two managers who refuse to really take any real responsibility. And I'm sure that our, our friend Josh over here would be able to explain the episode way funnier than I could, but it is a, it is a great, it is just a funny episode. So in today's, or actually the whole season, I think it goes through a few episodes, but anyhow, uh, in today's passage, we're going to see that there's, there's no question about the authority of Jesus. He doesn't share authority with anyone. There's no co-Messiah, like he is God, and we're going to see the immediate submission to him in both the natural and spiritual realms. The key question to each of us is, how are we doing at submitting to the authority of Christ? Now we're IBC. We're pretty awesome. But let's ask ourselves this question. Now, we saw the authority of Jesus last week, right? We, we looked at the, his final and eternal authority in Philippians. Do you remember reading that in Philippians chapter 2? Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
So to the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the, in the end, all will be brought into submission under Christ. So it would stand to reason, don't you think, that we learn submission now. I was listening to the Dividing Line podcast the other day, and, and Dr. James White says, we in America, I'll be honest, one of the things we miss that is part of the text is the necessary reverence for kingship. We don't have a king. And so there's a level of demand that mankind can express toward God that's never to be found in Scripture. I think we do that sometimes. So let's begin looking at our text in verse 38, Luke 4, 38. It says, speaking of Jesus, it says, And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with the high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now we're still in Capernaum, which is actually smaller than Idlewild, believe it or not, maybe 600 to 1,500 residents. Jesus goes over to Simon's house, which is where he may have been staying. And Luke, as he's writing, assumes that we know who Simon is. And actually we do. So any guesses? Anyone want to take a stab at that? Yes. Peter. Peter. There we go. Simon Peter, right? Um, and so we know who he is. Simon Peter is a married fisherman in Capernaum. He's the brother of Andrew who had witnessed Jesus' baptism. And so John 1, let's give, us, give ourselves a little context here out of John chapter 1 in verse 35. Um, John chapter 1. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus and he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said, said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are, you, uh, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed out with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. And Simon, he was Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now being married, Simon had a mother-in-law. And some of us really like our mother-in-laws. And some of us need to repent. <laughs> and also be very careful with jokes. Because um, if they hit the wrong way, they can go badly. I have a few of them that I'm not going to repeat because I make good decisions. <laughs> Simon clearly loved his mother-in-law, as we all should. Uh, right? Now, all joking aside, family can get messy, right? And And... Mother-in-law jokes are there for a reason. Uh, they exist, and I don't know what Peter's uh, wife's mother was like, but sometimes moms take sides, right? They, they, they often like to give unsolicited parenting advice, which is always really welcome, right? 
Um, and, and, you know, at the, at the wedding, when the moms go and they light those unity candles at the, at the wedding, some of them kind of obtain this instinct that makes them take a really deep interest in the inner workings of the marriage between their son or daughter and their spouse, right? And, and then the bride and the groom, they defend their own mothers and complain about the other person's mom. And it's oftentimes the very first fight in a marriage. Um, and so I, I actually address this, I address this very thing in, in, my, in premarital counseling um, so that the husband and the wife know one thing, never vent or complain about your spouse to their parents. Don't do it, or any of their family, really. But don't do that, um, because they take sides, right? In-laws take sides. Um, and uh, Yeah, it, 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 can be, it, it can be tumultuous at times, so that's a good way to keep the peace, right? Just don't complain. Now, I don't know what Simon's relationship with his mother-in-law was like, but he clearly cared for her. And, and that's the right thing. We don't have to like people. We got to love them, right? Because Jesus loved us. But she was sick. She was really sick. And the illness was, was, was very serious. It may have even been a fatal condition. We don't know this. We don't know the nature of it. It certainly could have been what's called a virus. Anybody heard of a virus? Right? And we had one of those going around here. Uh, it was obviously something that was caused for deep concern by Simon and his wife. And, and the primary symptom, or, or so it would seem, of this illness was a severe fever. Now, when one of my kids gets a fever, I rarely have the impulse to command the fever to retreat. Normally, I give them Tylenol. That's what we do, right? We give our kids Tylenol. Because if you give them Tylenol and the fever goes away, win. But if you give them Tylenol and the fever doesn't go away, emergency room, right? Because that's a dangerous condition. And we have six children, and so we usually have at least two enormous Costco barrels of Tylenol. Like, it's like the keg of acetaminophen. You see those, right? And we go through it so fast. But Jesus did not offer acetaminophen. Instead, he did something that I've never done. He commanded the fever to depart, just as he had commanded the demon to depart last week. Now, the fever responded just like the demon did. It heard Jesus, and it took a hike. John Nolan said, Jesus rebuked the fever as he had the demon, and it too succumbs to his authority. Some of you might remember me having COVID. I was kind of sick. Uh, I was pretty sick. I got to the point, after Denise had taken me to the ER a couple times, I was just, I was ready to die. I just, I, I'll die here rather than going to the ER. It's just better. It was just so bad. She didn't agree with me um, and made sure that I stayed alive. But I just didn't want to go back over there. And all of you gave my wife and my kids so much love. You, we're new. You barely knew us, but you all shared in our suffering. You bore our burdens and you prayed. And I know you prayed. I could, I, and I, I've never sensed this before. I sense these prayers and I knew people were praying for me and for my family. And you prayed because you all knew that you do not have the authority to rebuke the virus and make it go away. But God does. You, 
to this day, the biggest mystery to me at least is why this hit me so hard. I have no idea why. I'm not that unhealthy. But, but God chose to hear your prayers by carrying me through that time and, and healing me through kind of more of a natural process than a supernatural process. And because he chose in his sovereign wisdom to allow me to be sick for so long, we got to hear some cool stuff. We got to hear some of our elders preach. Oh, was that awesome or what? I'll never forget Lance's sermon. It was awesome. We got to hear that. And, and some of you guys, you got to meet my dear friend and mentor, Justin Alfred. And I know many of you were truly blessed by him. And that was cool. And so through all of that, I doubt any of you had the impulse to walk into my bedroom and command the coronavirus to go away. Um, if anybody had that temptation, maybe don't admit to it. Um, because you don't have that power, right? But Jesus stood over Simon's ill mother-in-law, looked upon her with grace and compassion, and rebuked her fever. This is how uh, Nolan summarized it. Following the first account of an exorcism, Luke immediately provides the first account of a healing performed by Jesus. Luke ties the two more closely together by reporting the healing in terms reminiscent of an exorcism. But with that, I think it's important to note that Luke makes a distinction between demon possession and illness. The devil isn't responsible for everything bad in our lives. Like, let's not make the mistake of giving him too much credit. We live in a fallen and broken world, and that's due to sin. And, and any of one of us that thinks that we're, we're good enough, that the only time that we sin is when we're tempted by demons or evil spirits or the devil, we're just not being honest. Like... I can sin just fine on the own. I don't on my own. I, I don't need the devil to make me do it, right? I, I'm pretty good at that. Um, but that said, the, the enemy can certainly take things like illness and exploit them to to tempt us or to to distract us from submission to God. In fact, uh, Kevin uh, not long ago shared that when he had COVID, and he had it pretty pretty severely too. He clearly perceived. Uh, for a while there, that there, there was this demonic component that was trying to trip him up. He could, he could sense the demonic around him. And so Luke is not comparing illness to a demon or, or to demon possession, but he's rather contrasting them and showing that Christ has the same authority over both. Just as the illness responded to Christ's authority, Simon's mother-in-law responds as well. What does she do? She gets up and she serves. She does good works, right? Now, she wasn't delivered from her fever because of her meritorious works, but because of the sovereign decree of Christ. The good works are her response to Christ's authority over her condition. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, uh, 8 through 10, actually. And we've, we've repeated this one a lot, but I think it's so important to our theology. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now look, Service is the response to God's work in this woman's life. 
If you were at our vision and planning meeting, Josh gave an outstanding presentation of our acronym LIFE. So who can tell me what the F in LIFE stands for? Fervous. Fervous, right? No, just kidding. It's not fervous. It's what? Finding a place to serve. There we go. Finding a place to serve. Now what I pray that none of us ever do is to move into that F, into that finding a place to serve part of life because you're supposed to. Or because that's what our culture is here at IBC. The service is a response to God's grace. Do you recognize God's grace in your life? If you do, that likely means that you're serving here in the church somewhere. You're leading or hosting a life group. You're, you're helping in the children's ministry or want to. Maybe you serve on the worship or the media team or you clean up afterwards or you bring snacks or all the different things that people do. We have so many people that serve in so many different ways. But listen, and this isn't to beat anybody up, do you know why we still have an offering box in the back and we don't pass around the plate or uh, we still use the prepackaged communion cups? Because there are people out there, somebody, somebody out there is, I believe, called to it. Maybe we don't have enough people who are responding God's, to God's grace by serving as ushers to set up communion, to pass it out, or to pass out the offering. Now, that's not to say that, you know, we don't have plenty of people serving, but as, as COVID has really affected us, service has kind of fallen, and we really want to offer an opportunity for everybody to respond to God's grace. So if that's you, if, you, if you're like, I, I recognize God's grace in my life and I want to respond to that and you, and you haven't found a place to serve, hey, see one of us. Go see Josh or Lance or myself or Kevin back there. And, and believe me, we've got places where you can serve in the church as a response to God's grace. We can't live in biblical significance, biblical submit. We cannot live in biblical submissiveness without serving God and his people. We have to take our responsibility to serve seriously out of reverence for God. Psalm 2.11 says this. Psalm 2 verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. But then it also makes service an integral part of worship in Psalm 100, verse 2. Psalm 102. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. It's a joyful response when we serve. My prayer is that as we continue the theme of grace and motion this year, that we will learn what it means to respond to God's grace by being grace in the church. And, and it's something that I, I know that I'm learning and need to learn as well. So let's continue there. Verse 40, Luke 440. When the sun was setting and all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Notice where Jesus is at this point. He's no longer in the synagogue. Right? He, he goes there for. He isn't telling people, hey, meet me at the church. Meet me at the synagogue. He's meeting them where they're at. And, and that's something that we need to be trying to do as well. Go there for. Right? Bring people who are outside of the church 
the hope of Jesus. And, and maybe they'll come in eventually at some point. The church is where, where we're all equipped for the work of the ministry. And then we go out to minister. If evangelism was something that were to take place primarily in the church, primarily right here from the pulpit, and our time of Bible teaching was all about reaching unbelievers and new believers, we have a couple issues. The first one is, where are we going to get the deep teaching? Where's the meat going to come from? right? And, and the second is, if whoever's up here doing, is doing all of the evangelism, what's everyone else doing? We have a sign that as you walk out those doors, anyone knows what that, know what that says? You're now entering your mission field, right? And you can see it there. I, I like to make it a practice during the week when I'm in and out of here and, and when I leave after Sunday, I like to make it a practice to stop and look at it when I walk out. Um, it, it's a reminder. And, and although we strive to make the gospel central to everything that we do here, we see our Sunday morning ministry primarily as an equipping ministry. And we expect the body as a whole to respond by going, therefore, and ministering to the wider community like Jesus is doing here in our passage. And, and this is what it looks like to be, in, in part, to submit to the authority of Christ. We don't do this on our terms. We let go of our fears and our insecurities and we follow the example and the command of our Lord. We respond to the authority of Christ because it has been revealed to us. And it's, it's a tremendous grace that he went beyond what we should have needed. God doesn't need miracles to prove his existence. General revelation, what has been revealed through creation around us, is enough. But since our sin has so blinded us, he's given us his word and so much more by his grace to know him by. Now these miracles that he, committed, that, that, that he performed here may have uh, functioned to affirm the identity of Jesus to uh, those around him, but also they were a demonstration of love because he loves people. Verse 41. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Kent Hughes said, Jesus silenced them with a simple rebuke, just as he had done with the unclean spirit in the synagogue. And in Peter's home, when he rebuked the fever, Jesus exercised his power with the ease of omnipotence. Just a word. One little word shall fell him, we just sang. Luke tells us that Jesus silences the demons. He wasn't interested in the testimony of evil spirits. They knew who he was all along. And all he cared about was silencing and expelling them. And we can see that Jesus has supreme authority over all spiritual and physical forces. He has the authority to perform miraculous things, but that's not the ordinary way of his working. Ordinarily, he heals us, if he's going to heal us through prayer and normal medical intervention or through things working out naturally, but God does hear our prayers, and it isn't unusual for him to work outside of nature. 
I have a doctor that, that I've been seeing most of my life. Um, I have the utmost respect for, for him. A wonderful, godly believer. And he did his residency in the emergency room. And he told me uh, a number of years ago that any emergency room doctor that doesn't believe that God performs miracles is a fool to the highest degree. We also have to recognize that God is often present in our pain. He will use our suffering to produce holiness. He'll often test us or grow us and those around us through our pain and suffering. Philip Ryken said, among other things, we can never make our health the test of God's love. You know, the night, night before that, or the night after Kevin felt that demonic presence in the worst of his illness, Kevin told me that he then felt just the opposite the following night. He said, instead of an oppression or pushing down, I felt an uplifting and being held. See, that's, that's because God is present in our, just as he's present in our heal, healing, he's also present in our suffering. And I, I think it's one of the most important truths to remember that he is present in our suffering. God chose not to heal our dear sister, Christina Sabo. She spent most of her life spreading joy and happiness to those around her through intense pain and suffering. And her smile was contagious. You remember it. She, she would come in here and she would light up this whole sanctuary. And she spent her marriage to Joe praying for him. And one night as she was declining in her health in the hospital, and I was still very sick in my own bed, she... Joe sent a few texts to Denise. He said he was surrendering all of it to Jesus. And not long after that, his precious bride was resting in the presence of her Lord. And what Joe told me later on before her service was that prior to that, she had died six times and they had brought her back. Did you know that the number seven in scripture often symbolizes completion? Her mission was complete and Christ was in it from beginning to end. And so Joe, I don't know if you're here, thank you for sharing your dear Christina with us. And here's the meat of all of it. Where all the people that, where are all the people that Jesus healed today? Where are they? They still eventually died, didn't they? That this physical healing that we see here in Luke 4, it's temporal. And so we can look at our dear Christina and continue to be blessed by the hope that she brought us because she's now healed for good. there are some commentators that I, I read that make these next three verses a whole new section, not because it's not enforcing the same message, but because this is so important. I want to hit on this. Luke 4, 42. When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people saw him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. 
Look at how people submitted to the authority of Jesus. They sought him. The best example I can think of is like a dog, right? When you work hard to train a dog, they're forced to submit in obedience. But something changes. Now, at first they resist, right? But when they learn what it is that pleases you, then they want to do it, right? Like, if you ever leash trained a puppy, the first time you put the puppy on a leash, that's like fishing for swordfish. You ever see they flip around in the air and they like squeal and scream like you're abusing them. And, you know, doing backflips. They try to escape the control of their master. But then... Through the judicious pressure of a choke chain or whatever it is that you use to persuade the dog to comply, that puppy will eventually learn what you want it to do. And it'll do it. But it, it goes beyond mere compliance. They learn what you want, and eventually they're doing what you want because it's what pleases you. And, and their deep-seated desire is to please their master. They're, they're pretty simple creatures, really. I mean, that's how I think you see the tightest bond be, uh, being be, like that with a police or military dog and their master. Those are some tight relationships between a human and a dog, right? And because that dog spent most of its time and energy learning what pleases its master. And it does it out of pure devotion. It brings the dog joy to do what it, its master wants. Now, I know that people believe there's other psychology behind that, but I really do believe dogs are pretty simple. And I think we often need to strive for that kind of simplicity in our devotion to God. Now, we have this puppy who's way too big for our home. Um, and she's learning to do the things that a dog should. She's learning to walk with her front legs right by ours, to sit when we stop. And I'm probably the hardest on her. I demand of her absolute submissiveness, particularly when she's on a leash. And yet, Donna prefers me over almost anyone else, almost all the time, she would prefer me. I get home and she's like squealing and happy and she grovels and wants to please me, except when I walk away from my ribeye steak. And we know that story. She has a little bit of a self-control issue. And almost lost her happy home. Uh, but she desires to please me. She desires to be with me. She gets excited when I walk in the door. She follows me around. I, I had... A dog, when I was a teenager, I had much more time to train a dog because I didn't do homework or anything. So I, I had this dog. His name was Chopper, and he would follow me. And I, he, to the point where I didn't even need a leash, and I didn't even need, need to give verbal commands. He just knew what I wanted him to do. He would walk right next to me. I would stop. He would sit. I would, I would put my hand like this. He would lay down. I could go to the, walk over to the, I lived in South Temecula. There's a little Hazit Mini Mart. We'd walk over there and I would do that. And he would lay down and he would sit in front of the door and just stay there until I came back out with my candy or whatever it was that I wasted my money on, right? And he was perfectly well behaved in that area. And that's the kind of submissiveness that we ought to have to our ultimate authority. Without even having to be commanded or reminded or told, we just know. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of the heart. That means he gives us those desires. 
It's not just laying down. It's a deep passion to please. It comes from within. It's like an impulse. It becomes part of the nature of the submissive one to look to and follow the authority with undying devotion. One of the areas that played out in the early church, we can read in in Acts 2.42, it says, and they devoted, Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. But there is another possibility with some of these people, many of them, may have just been chasing Jesus because of what he could do for them. Perhaps they weren't looking for a master to please, but a magical genie to grant them what they would please. And that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Do we follow Jesus because we want him to submit himself to our prayers? Or because we're submitting ourselves to his authority? We might ask if, They chased him down because they were submitting to his lordship or because they expected him to meet their felt needs. But the more important question to ask is which one we're doing. Do we seek God's honor in our faith? Or is Jesus the means that we use to search for what we perceive that we need? He'll meet our needs. There's no question about that. Why do we follow Jesus? Christ responds to them by saying that he was not just there for them. He needs to preach in other towns as well. Of all the purposes of Christ's earthly ministry, preaching the word of God was paramount. What does it mean that he must preach the good news of the kingdom of God? Now, for many of us, we might assume that means heaven. And the good news is that Jesus died so we can go there. I would propose, perhaps that that is just a superficial summary of the gospel. The gospel, the good news, goes beyond, far beyond just going to heaven when we die. Not only is there more to that in our future, the new heaven and the new earth and the bodily resurrection and, and all of that, it goes beyond even that. And it's better than the hopes of prosperity and physical healing that many false preachers try to seduce others with. The good news is found in the power and authority of Jesus who loves us. Philip Ryken said this, the kingdom of God is simply the rule of God, the extension of his divine authority and power. And the good news of God's kingdom is centered on submission. So repent, believe. This is what brings eternal life. I said again, where are all these people who Jesus healed today? They're dead. They died. The healing we read about in the gospels was only temporary. But the gospel. That healing, that's eternal. That's eternal. That's our hope. Now, let me take a little bit of a sidebar here for just a second before we close. Verse 44 might confuse some of you. Um, If you know uh, geography, 
didn't he just leave Capernaum in Galilee? How is he appearing in Judea? Not to worry. I have your answer. Judea can also refer to the entire region of Israel. So we're good to go. It just means he's going everywhere preaching. So we're good. But here's the thing. Jesus was taking the good news of the kingdom on the road. He was taking the good news and he was spreading it. And it's the very same good news that we preach from his word right here week after week. At the center of our hope is our submission to the authority of Jesus who loves us. At the center of our hope is, the submission, is our submission to the authority of Jesus who loves us. Let's pray. Our holy God, we thank you that your authority is worth submitting to. We thank you that you've called us to good works that we may live and walk in them. Lord, make us obedient to you that we may bring you honor and glory through our submission. God, we have not loved you with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Forgive us and cause our hearts to yearn after your authority that we may bring you honor and reveal your grace to those around us. Lord, if there is any of us here that needs your healing, that you would heal, we ask for your healing hand in their lives. And if there are those among us who must suffer, we ask that you grant them strength by your grace to walk through that suffering by your power and be present with them. We offer ourselves over to you as living sacrifices as we enter this week and our mission field in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.